0: Ecclesiastes 7, page 732 in my Bible, I get to turn the page, we're far enough in the chapter I can turn the page, and we're going to be ready for around verse 23, but uh, this is a reminder, Solomon's older, there's a lot of debate about that, did Solomon write this when he was older or when he was younger, you know, they, they kind of uh, debate back and forth about how old he was, I think it's obvious that he's older, especially as you get later in the book, he tells us some things, gives us some clues, that I think it's obvious that he's older. Uh, The first half of this book has been about his pursuits. I pursued wisdom. I pursued can I have satisfaction in this life without God? And and he's talked about those pursuits. We've gone through them. He pursued knowledge. He pursued pleasure, you know, to the nth most degree. Uh, He pursued things, you know, well, maybe it's things, maybe having more stuff is the answer. He pursued that, achievements maybe. If I do some big thing that marks the world, marks time because of my name, you know, and we talked about some of the things he built that still exist today, and so he's done all those, and he gets to the end of that, and he says, "Nah, that was all empty, that was all vain, it was nothing, Uh, it didn't satisfy. And so now we are in his thoughts, we're in the part of the book where we're talking about his thoughts where he's thinking back about those things that he did and how they fell short, and, and what he's supposed to be doing and so he's kind of we get to see him think out loud as he mulls these things over and so uh, he, he's he's been talking about wisdom in this chapter about you need to do good and not evil he says I don't care how you boil it down we know there's good and evil and he says if you're going to be in this life and even just on this side of life you need to do good and, and, and run away from wickedness and don't be wicked he's been telling us about that and he's talked about his pursuits and his pursuits were without God and he was trying to find satisfaction without God and he comes up short and so he was just looking on the earth for these answers and that's why they do fall short and so we just need to keep that in mind as we go and so before we enter into the text I just want to say I like Solomon the more I spent time studying him and we studied us I, I like him he's not a perfect he's not like a role model by any stretch of the matter but you know I can understand how he thinks and some of these pursuits on these deep deep thoughts and he goes places and his thoughts that, that, that I appreciate, things that I, I guess when you find somebody who kind of has some of the same interests as you, it's kind of neat, and you're like, oh, we could talk about that, and so he, he has some of those that he's going to get to this morning are, are things that I've thought about before, and so I just, I like his honesty, I, I look forward to learning more um, about his pursuits, and how far he did pursue, and the achievements that he did have when we get to an eternity, and we get to eternity I look forward to seeing what did he actually do, what was his temple, how did, what did that look like, you know, how far in his outreaches and his pursuits, I look forward to learning all that, I like history in that way, and I like learning what he did, and you know, some debate whether he's in heaven or not, you know, was Solomon saved or not, that's a big debate that goes on out there, uh, I'll let you draw your conclusion, but we'll look at some things and we'll have a point at the end of the message here this morning that I think, something that I see in the text that kind of gives us a little nudge in that way, I mean... He's writing in the Bible. I think he's in heaven. You know, so I'll play my cards right now. I mean, he's he's rec- included in here, um, but it doesn't mean he lived the exemplary life. That's for sure. You know, we know that. You know, he he's even already admitted in Ecclesiastic. You know, that God laid out some rules. I did everything but that. You know, and, and I lived a life that way. And he's given us the results of that to try to save us some grief. So I say yes, he's in heaven. But um, we'll digest more as as, the, as it goes on. So, but chapter seven, uh, verse twenty three. He says, all this have I proved by wisdom. I said, I will be wise, but it was far from me. That which is far off and exceeding deep, who can find, out, who can find it out? So he's just reminded us again, he goes, I tried to find answers without God. He tried to just use his wisdom. Can I just find answers to life's questions on this side of the earth? He pursued that. Uh, and if you think early on, he sought God early, I mean, because he understood the predicament he was in, he was a young man, he is king, he had a lot of responsibilities, he's like, I can't do this, and so he asked God for knowledge, and God gave that to him. So God gifts him with wisdom, you know, that, that he has this ability to, to comprehend and to see and to go deeper, and there's still people like that. There's people that are truly, and we talked about this early on, that are gifted. It's like, think uh, about a kid who's like three years old, and he's drawing pictures of a cello, and he says, I want one of these. And they're like, Well, you want one of those? You know what that is? And they gave him one, and he could play it. And they, he was, like, writing orchestras and everything by the time he was six. And they were like, this is, you know, how? You know, it's like he'd never been around a cello, And they are this, you know, this, why? You know, we've heard stories like that. You know, gifted people, savants and some, other, you know, that they have that. And so there are people that are gifted. Solomon was gifted in all areas by God. So I'm sure he was a rare occasion to see and, and to stand out. And so, but what often happens, and when you find that through the Bible, you find this truth to be true. That your strong suits can also be your weak suits. You know, The thing that you are good in becomes the thing that you trust yourself in and you forget about God. And I think that's what Solomon's problem was, is that he began to trust his abilities. And so he began to reason and pull everything himself and he never sought God and his advice until he gets old. You know? And then he starts putting down Ecclesiastes telling us, here's the conclusion of the matter. And so he trusted in himself more and more. He trusted in God less and less or thought about him less and less. And we, we see that happen. You know, people are things are going good, success is happening. You know, they get busy with all that and they forget about God who gave it them. I, I think about it's just a trap that we got to watch out for. How many people that become famous singers started out in church praising God? I mean, you can hear that testimony. That was Presley. You know, it was one, you know, that they started singing in church. All these different people that they were singing in church, singing in church, you know, and then they get on American Idol, then they get on The Voice, and they get on whatever else. And it's like, and then they forget everything about church, forget everything about God, and they go down a deep, dark path. Some of them end tragically, and all these other things. And yet, if you're using your talents to serve the Lord, that's everlasting. Money gets spent, you know. Fame is fleeting. But man, if you're seeking the Lord for for choosing to. To use our talents for him and his endeavors and his pursuits. Uh, He gives you cleverness. You know, if you use those cleverness to try to to witness and to do that. Or if he gives you all these different ideas or he gives you abilities to sing and to do this. And if it's just, you know, whatever your talent is, to be hospitable and all that. And if you use them for the Lord, he can greatly use that. And you'll get rewarded forever. You know, and so we should be thinking, how can I use what God doesn't get to me with my talents, my abilities for him? Because that has everlasting, eternal um, implications as it gets enacted out. How can I serve you, Lord? Help me, Lord, when you get to places like, Lord, I don't know what to do or I want to do. You know, instead of just going to your reason and to your thoughts and your group of friends, seek the Lord about what should we do? How do we pursue this? Take it before him because our talents are best, our talents are best used in serving him. If not, it seems like it draws you deeper and darker when you're trusting within yourself, and Satan knows how to pull people off that, to use your talent that God has given you to put a wedge in between you and God and to pull you deeper into your pride, into your selfishness, and to pull it away. So be very cautious in your strong suits as an advice from the Bible. And so Solomon trusts in his wisdom, and it draws him and pulls him away. So we need to use them for God and have everlasting reward. Eternity is forever. Invest in it. The Bible tells us that time again, don't lay up your treasure here on earth where moth and rust do corrupt. Invest it in heaven, you know, where it's going to grow and grow in interest. I always think of the widow's mite. She gave the smallest coin that they had. And we were at a uh, gym and mineral fossil show, and they had a widow's mite there, this tiny little metal coin. Not very much valuable valuable kind of today because it was old, but not worth hardly, you know, not even, not even a penny, you know, less than a penny. And she gave that, but boy, she's been earning interest her encounter, because she gave all that she had, that was all that she had, that Jesus writes it down and puts it in the Bible and says, I'm telling people about someone who just gave it all, you know, and trusted me with this. And, and, and boy, I look forward to hearing her story and to see how God blessed and has grown that investment. And so he, he tells us, you know, to invest in eternity, to serve God is our highest pursuit. I, I remember uh, our, our kids, we had them listen to a lot of things. We, we would drive from um, Morgantown when they were younger to Franklin a lot. And so it's about half hour, and so we had a lot of half hour tapes to keep them interested in the car. And they were, we used to had Bible tapes, Bible stories, uh, Adventures and Odyssey, Patch the Pirate, and these little things that we go to, and Elaine was playing a song last night, and all the kids all, yeah, they all remember it, and they're all ready to sing Camp Waka Woods, it's all this thing, and this is, well, I should make all of you listen to that one, honestly. It's, it's, there's such a truth and an impact to Camp Waka Woods, and some fun songs about camp food, uh, and nothing else, else, <laughs> greasy Grammy gopher guts and stuff like that, but, uh, <clears throat> but you yeah, There's one one about the king, and there's a line at the end where this guy says, if God has called you to serve him, don't you stoop to be king. You know, this is the highest calling. Serving the Lord is the highest calling, no matter what it might be. Don't you be settling for something less. And and being a king over a country sounds like, oh, that's the job to have. You're like, don't you stoop to be king. So serving the Lord, serving our king is the highest honor that we can do. So he says, I pursued all this. He says it was far from him. Verse 24 is intriguing to me. It says, that which is far off and exceeding deep, who can find it out? On the surface, as, as you read it through the King James there, it sounds like you know, some things are just too deep. Some things are just too big. Some things are just too far out there to, to, to find out. You know, we're still studying and trying to find out. Science is always learning you know, about the universe and what's going on, and, and I think they start from a wrong starting point, so I think they get to some wrong conclusions in a lot of areas, but there are some things that we get to see and know. You know, but I also think that this goes differently. Could this mean you know, some of the deeper mysteries of life and maybe even some specific mysteries of life? Um, the ESV, a, a, a newer translation that takes a you know, We keep finding new texts of the Bible in these ancient manuscripts. And they pull them together and they get, take all these different, different translations and different versions and they put them all together and they try to get a more concise version. That's one of the advantages of an ESV. King James is a proven and known text and that's why we kind of use it and stop some fights. Uh, new versions come and go and so that changes and so we, that's why we stay with the common text here. But the ESV has this verse interpreted this way. That which has, has been as far off and deep, very deep, who can find out? It's like he's talking about there there it is up there, yeah, that which has been as far off, deep, very deep. Who can find it out? It's, he's talking about ancient things, old things. I mean, to him, to us, he's ancient things and old things. And I have a lot of questions about what was it like? They talked about him having mechanical lions next to his throne or maybe some mechanical birds and all this stuff. And I'm like, really? That'd be cool. You know, what, what, what do you have built into his house? And he is curious about what went on before him. And I'm thinking, what went on before him that he'd be curious about? Same thing you and I are kind of curious about. What was the ancient world like before God had to destroy it? What were they doing? What was the sin that was so bad that God had to wipe it out? Because Solomon can look at life, he can look at himself, he's like, I've sinned every sin there is. It's like, what, what were they doing? What were these ancient mysteries? It's a popular show, right? <laughs> Unsolved ancient mysteries, you know, and you get some crazy hair and do, you know, instruct, you know, it, it's a popular show. It's, I think I've watched about every episode, <laughs> so it's out there. It's, it's curious. I think they have bad conclusions and bad results, but I think his pursuits are that way. Think of where he is in the region that he is. The pyramids are already there. I'm sorry. You don't look at the pyramids. If that doesn't inspire some wonder and sense of mystery, uh, You know, we blasted the side in it to find the entrance. They didn't have the entrance then. You know, they didn't know where it was. We have a, a corrupt version in that <clears throat> before uh, Napoleon's day, the the pyramids had a white a stone on the outside that they were brilliant white. And when the sun hit them, they were shiny. You know, So they, it's out there in the desert, and the shiny white stones. Napoleon took off the casing stones and took them to France, and, and they built things out of them. And so we only see a broken version. you know. And so what was it like in their day when it was this polished, shiny stone on the side? You couldn't climb up the side of it. He took all those casing stones off. And so imagine that wonder when you're walking through the wilderness, and you get over to Egypt, and you go over there, and you're like, look at this alone the size of it we're still amazed we couldn't build it today the precision and, and then putting the stones together is still a mystery dress how did they move these rocks where did they move them from how did they transport them how did they get them so close many think it's before the flood that maybe it was even built before the flood it's not egyptian all the egyptian writing on the inside has been put in by uh, you know graffiti people later and they opened it up and didn't have any of that and so they're like we don't know who built we don't know why and Um, there's a lot of, we could do a whole message on just on the mysteries of the pyramid, but, you know, what else did they discover and find that would make that curiosity? Every time I find a fossil or a rock, I think, where is this, and what is Roman? and how'd that happen? Uh, We find uh, crinoid stems uh, around our house and in our area, and those are uh, a sea plant that still grows today, and these are are fossilized versions, but... uh, we're a good ways from the beach, you know, and so we got to go away, so I, like, these are from Noah's flood, and all these fossils, this must have been an area where these plants were growing, and it's all fossilized, okay, Indian coins is another term for them, the little stack-looking rocks that are that way, and so it's just mystery, like, man, the flood, here's evidence of the flood in Indiana, I found pieces of coral in Indiana, Carl found a cock shell, and, and you know, these other things that we find stuff, there's evidence that this is underwater, shark fossils, Indiana, State Museum has a whole list of things, and so it sounds to me like if I put myself in Solomon's shoes, he's thinking pre-flood. Who were they? What did they do? What exceeding sin were they into that caused God to destroy them? Uh, generally, in Christian terms, we call it the pre- pre-flood world. Uh, the scientific name is antediluvian. It's a a n t e antediluvian, or before the deluge, uh, that is out there before the flood. What was that like? Because there's a lot of, th- we, we find stuff. And I remember the first time I found out that we found stuff, I was like, well, <laughs> I didn't know we found stuff from before the flood. I thought God wiped it all out and destroyed it all, and it was very violent. But some of the stuff survived. And that makes me curious, it's like Man. because the stuff that they find is curious, and it's a wonder, and how they find it is curious. Um, and they used to find more and more of it because life was more hands-on. When they were digging a mine or they were digging a tunnel or they were digging coal, you know, it was a guy with a pickaxe and a shovel, you know, and they were throwing it in a wheelbarrow, and you'd be looking in the rocks as he's moving away, because I look at every rock I find. I look down all the time. And so these guys would be moving it, and if you're taking coal and people were heating their houses with coal forever uh, in the United States, they would get big lumps, and they'd have to break it up. You know, they'd come off the, uh, the, the train on these big lumps. They'd go get a load. You'd bring it home, and you'd have it outside. You'd break it up into smaller lumps. And then when you brought it inside, they had little hammers. They'd break it up into smaller lumps to throw it into their uh, their stoves to make, make it go. And so you had a lot of hands-on looking at all these rocks. And people would break it, and they would find silver chains inside of coal. You know, coal is a lot of plants crushed down and smashed by dirt and mud all at once, created by the flood. It was all at once smashed down in there. Uh, we have coal in Indiana and around us. And so uh, they would break it open, they'd find this delicately made silver chain. And they're like, how did that get in the middle of a lump of coal? And that gives people, a lady found a silver bell. It's very un- ornately decorated. You can take it out, it still rings. It was made out of silver. She broke it out of a piece of coal, getting ready to throw it into her fireplace. So people would have their hands on it, and they would find all these things. And so you'll have to be like, what in the world? You know, they have hammers that they have found in rocks. They have found bracelets, they found chains, they found all these very small things. So they, they find stuff not only in coal, they find stuff in granite, they find stuff in rock, solid rock. In 1851, in Do- uh, Dorster, uh, Massachusetts, uh, they were blasting out a hillside and they, this the silver vessel or this metal vessel comes flying out and they go over and look at it and it's all this delicate uh, work on it. They had it tested at the time, it was made of an unknown metal, or at least the composition of the metal is not anything that we know how to mix to put together today and at the time, in eighteen fifty one the newspaper said, "We think this is from the tubalcane area area era era, which is early in the book of Genesis that says that he was a worker of metal, tubalcane, he became a worker of metal. Today they would say an ancient alien put it down there, or a time traveler has traveled through time and lost this and left it in the rock in the rock form. no, it 's before the flood because the flood violently upheaved, pressed, and put down in there. I did bring a picture of it, so that's not it. So I'll I'll put it about back. But there's this this silver-looking, ornate vessel. They don't know what it was, like a candlestick or something. But they had it there for that. So they find metal stuff. They find stuff in there. And I'm sure Solomon had mines. And they would dig in them. And maybe they found the weird things. They would show him. They would get get his mind going. You know what else they used to find in rocks? Animals, living animals, not just fossils. We find fossils in rocks. They find living animals. These guys would be taking the tunnel, and they'd hit a little pocket, and they'd break it open, and there'd be a frog in there. And they'd find this often, and they'd do these experiments, but the frog, when they hibernate, they would go down into mud, and they'd go into this hibernation stasis, you know, they'd put their body on slow mode, and they in slow mode, and they'd it would turn to rock. If they were encased in the area of Florida, it turned turn to rock. Sometimes they would come out. They would hop around like two or three times. Sometimes their mouth would have been grown shut because it had been in there so long. <clears throat> it happened so often when they found these things, different animals encased in rocks, that they came up with a term for it, and, they, and they're called occasional hells. And so they'd find these different things. Uh, matter of fact, there's a big story <clears throat> out west with the cowboy era where they're digging a tunnel, they chiseled open, and a big leathery bird came out with a six foot wingspan. It went like this, and it fell over, and it died. You know, and I think they shot it and everything else. But I think it's that pterodactyl. I don't know what it is, but something was encased in stone that was there. And so they find these things, and they talked about it. And so that's, you know, who knows what mysteries, what things they found? They found a spark plug in the middle of a rock. It wasn't a champion, but it was it was it was different. It was bigger. They take it all apart, and they're like, "Yeah, it's a spark plug. We built one that would work." Like they have motors? Do they have engines? What was it like in the pre-flood world? It gets my mysteries going. It gets my juices flowing. I think Solomon's thinking of that. Man, I tried to investigate all of this. What what did they do? Another weird one is that they, in a marble quarry over in England, they'll be cutting down getting these slabs of marble to make your cabinets to make all this stuff. And they would hit a pocket of sand, which is not uncommon. And they would then suck all the sand out and they would go again when they sucked all the sand out there's marble tools down in there there's the board there's the cutting things and all that stuff and they're like it wasn't sealed rock how'd that get there but maybe in the after the flood that area was prone to making a marble indiana makes limestone and it's sealed all up and these workers had been there and abandoned it it got all sealed in the stone multiple times they find cases like that so there's a lot of interesting things that happen they find riding. Writing them from there. And I'm like, what did they write? What were they saying? So they have all these different things that go on and so, that, that they would find. And so I think, like I said, Solomon had minds, I think he brought it all to him, and it just made him fascinated, and I think it makes me fascinated. I think the pre-flood world, the things that he was after, the things that, and the questions that he was wanting to find out, he said they were exceedingly deep. Who can find out? I think it was things that they shouldn't be touched. And sadly, I think we're touching them now. There's science and things that we are doing that we're not supposed to do, lines that we are not supposed to cross, that he flooded the ancient world, and Jesus told us in the last days would be like the days of Noah, and I think that we are flirting with that, and we've talked about that some Sunday night. I even think it's like, did Solomon hear early Atlanta stories? I always think the Atlanta story is pretty simple. Pre-flood world was pretty advanced. God destroyed it judged it for what it was in advance because that's kind of the basics of the, uh, of the Atlanta story, so I think it's just a pre-flood world story. So I I imagine Solomon thinking on that. I think on that. I think Solomon thought on that. But he tried it all, found no answers. Verse 25, he said, I applied my heart to know and to search and to seek out wisdom and the reasons of things and to know the wickedness of folly, even the foolishness of madness. He said, I tried it all. I sinned it up. He goes, I I, I thought, maybe it's pleasure. Maybe it's all this. And he went after it, and we've talked about that. He ran in and, and looked at forbidden things. He ran to try to find reasons without God, answers that man had come up with on their own outside of the biblical text. And so he tried to find that. He tried folly, fun in the sun, you know, doing whatever, sinful pursuits. He pursued them to the nth degree, pleasures. We would call them hedonism today, that he just wanted to serve his flesh. Madness, that means he did crazy, stupid, wrong things that he was going after, and just these sinful and dark pursuits. And he tells us that after pursuing all these different things and Again, the early chapters, we talked about a lot of those. He says that after I pursued all these things, and I think he's older in life now, he's saying, I'm going to tell you the most dangerous thing, the thing that took me to the darkest places, the thing that pulled me further from God and took me to the deeper and closer to Satan than I ever should have gone. And his warning for that is in verse 26. He says, and I find more bitter than death the woman whose heart is snares and knits and her hands as bands Whoso pleaseth God shall escape from her, but the sinner shall be taken by her. He says the most dangerous thing for a man here, especially, was a woman that would draw him away, that would take him further. Now, again, I think because he's fishing in the wrong pond. You know, the Bible tells you to be not unequally yoked. You know, you're to be married with one wife. He disobeyed that rule. You're to have a wife of your a Christian, you know, Christians to marry a Christian, and as to avoid all this, he totally scoffed all that, and so he got what God had promised him he wouldn't get. Look at, uh, hold your spot here, and look at First Kings chapter 11. First Kings 11. First Kings 11, verse 1. He said, But King Solomon loved many strange women, there you go. Don't go after strange women. Be <laughs> strange women. He says, Together with the daughter of Pharaoh, women of Moabites, Ammonites, Edomites, Zidonians, and Hittites, of the nations concerning the Lord said unto the children of Israel, Ye shall not go in unto them, neither shall, you, uh, shall they come in unto you, for surely they will turn, your heart, turn away your heart after their gods, Solomon clave unto these in love. So see, he's fishing the wrong pond. God says, You do not do these. He married all of them. He married from every tongue, every tribe. He went after, it. it tells us, verse 3. And he had 700 wives, princesses, ones he actually married, and 300 concubines. Um, they weren't wives, but he treated them like wives, you know, in that way he didn't marry him. His wives turned away his heart, it says. It tells you, right there, this is what he says. What pulled me away deeper? What drew me deeper into dark, dark sin? Marrying these strange women that, that I shouldn't have been marrying, you know doing what I should have been doing, where God told me to be a husband of one wife. And I took on 700, no, 1,000, you know, 703. He had 1,000 different wives. He said, they pulled my heart away deeper. And it tells us a little bit about it, verse 4. For it came to pass when Solomon was old that his wife turned away to his heart after other gods. See, he went after satanic things, and his heart was not perfect with the Lord his God, as was the heart of David his father. For Solomon went after Ashtaroth, the goddess of the Zidonians and after Milcom, the abominations of the Ammonites. And Solomon did evil in the sight of the Lord, and went not fully after the Lord, as did his, David his father. And, did Solomon, and then did Solomon build an high place for Chemosh, the abomination of Moab, and the hill that is before Jerusalem, and for Moloch, and the abomination of the children of Ammon. And likewise did he for all his strange wives, which burnt incense and sacrificed unto their gods. We sacrifice to these satanic gods, these, these demon gods, these pursuits that were dark that God had tried to purge the land with, land with. He marries them all and then brings all that right back and puts it into Jerusalem. And we know that ultimately all of his children afterwards, they get wicked and wicked and wicked and wicked and wicked until the God says, I got I to get them out of the land. I got to drive out them. And so he puts them into captivity. That's where we are on Wednesday night, that they are just now in the Babylonian captivity. It's because he's driven them out of the land. He says, you have not served me for 490 years. I'm getting them back. So he's going to keep them out of the land for 70 years because he, they owe him the Sabbath. And so that's where Daniel is. He is in part of that captivity. That's where we are on Wednesday nights. I invite you for that plug there, commercial. And, but uh, we're studying that. And so, yeah, Solomon goes deep, goes dark, goes into sinful places because of these pagan deities that they are serving, and he served them. So they pulled him darker and further away from God. Um, Look at Proverbs 5. Look at a couple of Proverbs here. Because it becomes something where he really warns about it. Proverbs 5, verse 3. Proverbs 5, verse 3 says, For the lips of a strange woman drop as a honeycomb, and her mouth is smoother than oil, but her end is bitter as wormwood sharp as a two-edged sword he said man they can lure you in and the first time I really got the grasp of that term you know or mouth dripping honey or whatever my wife talked to me she was telling me I was a salesman or something that we we're going to she has and she used this term and, it, and all, every time I read that it, it still strikes me she said his mouth's just dripping honey you know he's just telling you everything you want to hear so you'll buy it so you'll sign on that line and then we're going to have regret let's run from this Listen to your wives when they tell you not to sign that paper this way. But I remember. But this is what we're talking about here. She's promising me all these alluring things, and he says, "When you're a man and a woman's promising you all that, it makes you do stupid things." And he says, "In the end, there of his death." Look at Proverbs seven. This is a a proverb that he's written to his son to avoid (laughs) to avoid all this. Uh, Proverbs seven verse one: My son, keep my words and lay up my commandments with thee. Keep my commandments and live. And my law is an apple of thine eye. He's saying, you need to listen to my advice. Don't do as I did. Do as I say. He says, bind them upon thy fingers. Write them upon the table of thine heart. Say unto wisdom, thou art my sister, and call understanding thy kinswoman. Same thing he's telling us in Ecclesiastes 7. Pursue wisdom. Pursue this. Avoid danger. Listen to what I'm telling you, and it'll avoid you a lot of grief in life. Verse 5, that they may keep thee from the strange woman, from the stranger which flattereth with her words. And then he tells us an encounter. He says, from the window of my house, I look through my casement. So he's sitting in his palace. He looks out and he looks through his window. And he sees this enacted on the street. And he's probably seen it time and time again. He knows what corner they're on. He knows where they go. He knows why the guys walk by there. He knows what the girl's after. And so he gives us this warning, verse 7. And he says, I beheld among the simple ones. That's the guy. I discerned among the youths a young man void of understanding. Passing through the street near her corner. And he went. Uh, to the way of her house. We still call them streetwalkers, or, you know, in those corners. Verse 9, he says, In the twilight of the evening, in the black and dark night, and behold, there met him a woman with the attire of an harlot and subtle of heart, just like the serpent. She is loud and stubborn. Her feet abide not in her house. Now is she without, now in the streets, and lieth to wait in every corner. So she caught him and kissed him. And with an impudent face, she said unto him, I have peace offerings with me. This day have I paid my vows. That means she just went and, I'm a spiritual woman. I just went and made my sacrifices. Now I have leftover food. I need someone to help eat this. You know, this lamb's going to go to waste. So she's allured him with this. She goes, Therefore came I forth to meet thee. Oh, I'm just here for you. Diligently to seek thy face, and I have found thee. I have decked my bed with coverings of tapestry and carved works and fine linen of Egypt. I have perfumed perfumed my bed with myrrh, aloes, and cinnamon. Come, let us take our fill of love until the morning. Let us solace ourselves with loves. For the good man is not at home. Oh, she's married. He had taken... He's gone on a long journey. He has taken a bag of money with him, and he will come home in the appointed day. You don't have to worry. He's gone on a long trip. He took a lot of money. He's going to be a while. He won't catch us. You know, so there's that. It's going to be dangerous, you know, but not that dangerous. And, you know, so she's trying to allure him into this danger, you know, the the excitement of it all. Verse 21, with her much fair speech, she caused him to yield. So he was resisting, but with her much fair speech, she caused him to yield. With the flattering of her lips, she forced him. He goeth out after her straightway, as an ox goes to the slaughter, as a fool to the correction of the stocks, till a dart strike him in his liver, as a bird hastens to the snare and knoweth not it is for his life. He says it's a trap. It's a trap, and he doesn't see it. It's like the farmer taking you like he's done all the time, and next thing you know, it's to the slaughterhouse. It's like the, 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 the feed's there on the ground. The bird's like, this is crazy, a bunch of food right in the middle of It's laying in the middle of a net, and they're going to catch him." It's like, man, they don't even see it. They don't understand. They don't perceive. This guy has no idea that this is a trap for him, and it's going to lead him. To dark places. Verse 24. Hearken unto me now, therefore, O ye children, and attend to my words of my mouth. Let not thine heart decline to her ways. Go not astray uh, in her path, For she has cast down many wounded. Yea, many strong men have been slain by her. Her house is the way to hell, going down to the chambers of death. It's going to take you, and it's going to take you into sin. It's going to make you feel regret. It's going to make you feel remorse. It's going to take you out of the picture. You're going to, it's going to cause doubt on you and your life, let alone disease and anything else. So the guys go home and kill you. He says, there's all kinds of dangers. Stay pure. Stay with your wife. Stay faithful. Stay loyal. He tells them all this. He goes, if you're not, he goes, I pursued all that. It'll take you hard. It'll take you far away. It'll take you deep into sin. It'll take you into satanic places. Seems like an innocent thing. Seems like something that the TV will put out there and say, this is, gl- this is glamorous. This is what everyone's doing. Sleep around. It's fun. It has no ramifications. There is no cause. Just be safe and it'll be all right. Lies. All lies from the pit of hell to drag people deeper and, to further and, and further away from God. Satan is a clever, clever master. Solomon here is warning of that. In Ecclesiastes 7, he says the same thing. The darkest, the deepest thing I did, sexual sin. It just pulled me away. Uh, look at uh, Ecclesiastes 7, verse... Uh, Twenty-six again he says, I find more bitter than death uh, than death the woman whose heart is snares and nets, and her hands as bands. And he says, Here, whoso pleaseth God shall escape from her, where to run, where to turn and run, but the sinner shall be taken by her. He says, Behold, this I have found, saith the preacher, continuing one by one to find out the account. He says, I've investigated, I've looked. He goes, and here's what I found in, in mankind. Which yet my soul seeketh, but I find not. One man among a thousand have I found, but a woman among all those I have not found. Again, he's saying in his wives, the one he's gone after, I've not found one who's encouraged me. I've not found one that's strengthened me in doing all this. But it's because he didn't do what God said. You have one woman, one woman will honor a one man, a one woman man you know a loyal wife will be loyal to a loyal husband you know a faithful bond that grows together a teammate you know that that union that you have as god has put it he says that's what it is he writes about it he tells us about the proverbs 31 woman he tells us about the things that are ideal the ones that are out there he says you marry one of them i did it is a good thing and he says it is better than riches it is better than anything to have a helpmate come alongside you and stay loyal and stay faithful he says, i had a thousand wives i didn't have that It was because it was sin. He's telling us, don't go my way. Don't go this way. Don't do as I did. And so he's given us this warning late in life. He says, I've not found any. Verse 29, lo, "Lo, this only have I found, that God hath made man upright, but they have sought out many inventions. Um, This he's talking about the sinlessness in the garden, I think, that he made man without sin. He made man upright, but then he sinned. You know, he says, but, you know, he's sought out many inventions. They have sought many different pursuits. They, they, they choose to sin in a hundred different ways. He goes, I wasn't the first to seek a way to go sin. He goes, and I pursued all these other different ways. He goes, men have always done it. Men will always do it. Oh, here's some good invention. Hey, how can we sin with that? You know, we're going to think and we're going to pervert it. And we're going to take it deep and dark. And he says, and I've looked through all these. I looked through thousands. If I could just find one. If I could just find one who was perfect. I could just find one who was upright. If we just, there would be, might be hope for humanity. He couldn't find it. By I live in 2018, there was one. There was one who didn't. There was one who wasn't allured by sin. There was one who was tempted on all fronts to the very point where he had Satan encounter him one-on-one after he had starved himself, fasted for 30 days when he was at his weakest point. Satan comes and attacks him, and yet he did not sin. He proved that he was the good and loyal son. He proved that he was the faithful man. It proved that he was the perfect lamb of God who could take away the sin of the world. And he rescues us from our sin. The one that Solomon looked for has come. The one that Solomon looked for came and can rescue us and offers us hope to humanity if we would but repent and trust in him. If we just agree, like Solomon has said, not only in this passage this week, but the passage last week, that there is none righteous, no, not one. There is none that pursue godliness. There is none that pursue holiness. But Jesus Christ did, and he pursues us. And he reaches out to us while we are yet sinners. Christ died for us so that we could have salvation. All we have to do is repent and trust in him. That's what I see this passage as for Solomon. As he's looking back over his life and he's saying, I have sinned. I have fallen short. I have been drawn far away from God and all those pursuits just pulled me further and further away. Now here he is late in life saying, I am sorry for what I have done. I need to warn others through my pursuits and what I'm doing. So he writes it down. It's preserved in God's word that is free around the world. It'll be sent to anybody. Warning, warning, warning. Don't do as I did. Here's what it is. And every language translated so that people can see they need to repent. That there is one who is perfect, and who has died for them. And if you but repent and trust in him, you can have salvation. If you trust in yourself, or if you just seek for pleasures in this life, you will be sadly disappointed in eternity. You have held a face. But the answers to Solomon's questions have come. So I think this is the beginning of Solomon saying, I'm wrong. I do. I can't live without God. There is no answer without God. And it's going to lead us to the conclusion of the matter in chapter 12, where I think Solomon gets right. And that's why his writings are here for us. So yeah, is Solomon starting to repent? I think so. Is Solomon starting to turn to God? He's pursued everything else and found it wanting. I think so. Have you? Have we waited our life that way and saw that our pursuits were futile without outside of God? not we need to do so solomon did the hard work for us too tried to avoid us from grief young people listen to solomon's advice follow god's law follow his ways it'll make your life happier make your life better and it'll make your eternity sweeter don't live a life of regret don't live a life where satan's put a wedge in there to try to take you out of service honor god honor your parents honor that is out there and choose life choose this stay life we have it set before us today which will you serve Choose life or death. There's a way of death. There's a way that leads you deeper and darker. And it's going to be harder and harder to come back from that. Or you could stay on the good side. Stay close to him. Stay faithful to the Lord. High school, school is hard. Choose him. Stay close to him. You're going to be different than everybody else. Know that. He tells you to expect it. It's going to be hard. Stay faithful and true to him make your life so much sweeter you'll be able to sleep you'll have life you'll have a, a, a joy that is exceeding and, and full of glory you'll have all this you can have a life that is pleasing unto the lord don't do as solomon did do as he advises you to do and seek the lord seek him early and stay close to him much good advice here for us and i hope we all do so